0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is The Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to The Copywriter's Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today?
1: Nathan, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. And if people are viewing on video. They already know the cat's out of the bag. We got a very special guest lined up for this week's episode. So I'm going to turn it over to you and play a fly on the wall.
1: All right, let's do that. So our guest, here's a little backstory. In the great financial meltdown of 2009, Colin Chung lost his job with eBay. And despite having no experience in copywriting, he decided That was the next stretch of his career path. 18 months from then, he had doubled his eBay income and was earning six figures for the first time in his life as a freelance copywriter. A year later, he doubled it. And before long after that, Colin was making really big bucks. Not only that, he ended up writing for major clients, including Jay Abraham, Clayton Makepeace, Mike Dillard, Agora, and even a Shark Tank investor. Also, from 2014 to 2020, Colin was the primary coach for John Carlton's Simple Writing System, where he coached many freelancers, business owners, and other aspiring copywriters. After all this, Colin decided to reveal his secrets. And I say secrets because his approach, the way he describes it, is different from the approach of any other successful copywriter I've ever talked to or heard of. He'll tell us about the approach today. But first, I'd like to tell you about this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, You may want to get a legal review after you write, and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Colin, welcome and thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
1: Sure. So, um, take us back to the early days. I know that's it's like almost fifteen years, fourteen years ago. How did you get started? What did you learn, and what did you find that you know the conventional wisdom? Was not the path you really followed, was it?
2: No. Um, so back in those days, and I think it's still true today, um, a lot of gurus and whatever, they'll tell you, hey, you gotta create a social media account, write a blog, or have an email list and start building your audience and just like get yourself out there and everywhere. But I did I mean, I did do that originally, but then I got a mentor who told me to stop doing that. And the core and main reason was, well, who's really reading your blog or email newsletter? Which other copywriters? It's not really clients. And that gave me the insight to go under the radar, be more discreet about who I talk to. And that taught me how to network and connect and, I don't know, island hop, if you will, from one client to another. And it's not that different from the way John Carlton did it. So if you've ever read his freelancing secrets or I forget whatever the course was, he did the same thing. Like he started hanging out with Jay Abraham and then he got passed on to Halbert and then he became his own thing. Like he, he was jumping from one type of client to another. And he he never, like back in the early nineties, it wasn't like there was a blog or anything that you had to do, right. It's just learning how to connect with the right people.
1: Yeah. So how how could you even connect with somebody if you'd never written copy before? I mean, how did you start this? Because I think this is a question in a lot of people's minds, you know? Yeah. I'm brand new. I don't have a whole bunch of clips to show people, samples. I don't have a track record. I don't have a ton of testimonials. What are some, some key starting point things that are important?
2: So, I mean, as you know, I recently put out a freelancer course and what i focused on the first 18 months of my career and so when i was like reviewing all those things that happened back in the early 2008 2009 it, at the very beginning it was just like doing i had a good mentor like i had i had multiple i've had multiple mentors in my career but like the first one i got was trading sweat equity equity for coaching so like i would do like the boring stuff like putting up his wordpress blog or like organizing his email list in return, he gave me some copy tips and that gave me my initial foothold. And that gave me a few samples, but at the end of the day, the first six months just suck. That's really what it is. And it's just like it, the, the whole connection thing that I'm ta- uh, we want to talk about for this episode doesn't really happen until you do have those initial pieces of work. And those first few months was cold emailing and spamming my website everywhere you know, all the typical things just to get a few jobs and you have to recognize those first few jobs don't matter. They're more for building your portfolio.
1: Right. So you have to cast your pride and your preciousness aside and say, I'm just going to dive in, put my head down and get it done. I'll get to have a life again in a year or two.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the first year just but once you have those initial portfolio pieces, then you can start leveraging that and moving it to the next client and saying, Hey, I have pieces and the mentor finding the right mentors also helped just that I like finding mentors and masterminds and coaching groups and whatnot. Wasn't so much for the actual educational content so much as connecting with people. So like when I joined John Carlton's mastermind in 2010, after the first mastermind, I realized, you know, John is just regurgitating everything I've read of him to me, <laughs> except I paid $10,000 for it. But that was okay because that was not why I was there. I was there because there were other people who paid $10,000, and now I was connecting with these people, talking to them, showing who I am, and that led to jobs, that led to more jobs, that led to more jobs.
1: So when you say connecting... That can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. And when we were prepping for this, one thing you told me is that the the high-level client you're looking for, you need to talk to them differently. You need to connect with them a different way. Can you give some examples of that or tell us some stories or get some tips? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So right before this podcast, I was looking up Neil Gaiman's 2012 commencement speech, And he gives some freelancer advice. Good freelancers need three things. One, be good at your job. That's obvious. Two, hit deadlines. And three, be pleasant to work with. And I think I leaned in on the deadlines and be pleasant to work with. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't deliver on the copy. I did. I obviously have written a lot of copy that has made a lot of money. But ultimately, you have to be that kind of person that It's a joy to talk to. And I don't know how to describe that more than it's being gracious. It's being kind. It's being insightful. It's being honest. It's caring. And it's commitment. And it's just being a good person. And I think there's been a disservice done to a lot of aspiring copywriters over the last 20, 30 years when it all started with Garrett Halbert, putting on that hat saying clients suck and then putting a whole one hour talk about how to be a jerk and still get jobs. And it create a whole generation of aspiring copywriters who think that's the way to be as a freelancer. Right?
1: Yeah. And, and it's, not. And it's, not, in, and it's in, not in the real world that doesn't work. And if you dig deep into Gary's life, he paid a price for that more than once.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you had the similar whole miserly outlook that Dan Kennedy put on, right? And again, it's just, it's not helpful.
1: Do you mean emotionally miserly?
2: He was emotionally miserly, but he also had that attitude of like, you know, you got to, it's very transactional for him. Like he didn't have, a his boundary was, do you have money? If you have money, you can be in my inner circle. And what kind of people does that attract? right? People with money, and that's their only metric. So when I'm talking about like caring and commitment, like every client I've had, I've cared. And it's such a simple thing, but it's hard to like explain to an aspiring copywriter what that means to care and to be committed to helping your client reach their vision and it's being that kind of good person. But at the same time, recognizing when you have to draw boundaries. And I think that's the balance that most aspiring copywriters don't have. They either are complete pushovers and they're like, yeah, I'll say yes to everything and then get in trouble or take too little money or being a complete jerk about it and asking for too much and not delivering anything. And there's like a whole generation of that right now. And we won't mention names, but like there's a lot of alpha bros out there who are not qualified to write long form copy, but they're asking 10, 15, 20 K for a sales letter. And when I was mentoring a a junior copywriter the last two, three years, every client she talked to was like, oh yeah, we've dealt with that group. And they did not show up, they did not deliver, or they took the money and ran, they ghosted us. And it's like, you're not teaching the proper freelancing skills there.
1: So I guess, you know, the ability to care, either you're brought up with it or it's inherent in you or it's not. But, I mean, can you give some examples or tips or suggestions? Because, you know, this is a very different world than, say, having a staff job at a corporation or, I don't know, being a novelist or something like I mean, and I think on top of that, a copywriter has to be mentally flexible in the, in the, in a way that has nothing to do with how much they care about their client particularly but more like in one hand you are a contractor a service provider on the other hand you're almost like the chairman of the board you know you you're the chief profit officer i mean it's it's going to be your job to make sure that this promotion maybe even this business goes i mean I agree with you that Dan Kennedy could have put a lot more human warmth into his whole thing, but you gotta be and do what you gotta be and do. But one thing that he said, which I really liked was sometimes you can reinvent someone's entire business with one sales letter.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've done it and I've seen others do it for sure. Yeah. And that's, I love what, Carlton told me a long time ago, you got to be the adult in the room. So it's like, you're not being an asshole about it, but you are, you have to develop that trust and that connection in order for them to follow you. So there's an element of learning leadership. And I, like, you know, that's, leadership-
1: that's, that's interesting. I, I like that because I've always, you know, they didn't let Warren Buffett into Harvard Business School because he didn't show an aspect desire for leadership. I mean, leadership is such a, of course, he got into Columbia Business School and still did okay for himself. But, you know, it's such a shape-shifting, the definition, the definition is so shape-shifting of leadership. And yet you're right. You're not the one taking all the financial risk. You're not the one with the assets and the payroll and, you know, all the other liabilities or vulnerabilities that come with actually owning the business. And yet you, as a copywriter, you need to show leadership. Can you talk about how you've done that and how how someone else should approach that?
2: It's even better terminology would probably be trusted advisor. Okay. And the example I'd like to go to is uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. All right. And He's just someone who like not be not doing all the shenanigans he did but like it's being of value to someone giving them advice in an honest way well i guess a little finger doesn't apply anymore but it is giving advice in an honest way really being a kind of person and i i don't want to keep talking about things that are maybe innate innately innate to me but it's like All my life, I've been the kind of person that listens attentively and people will share stuff that they probably shouldn't share with me. Like I end up being a confidant. And it's once you you have that kind of relationship where they are confiding in you, you can address what they're going through better. And it's never really about the sales letter. Although that is what makes the business go and it keeps the thing running. It's what are they really looking for? And, it, and, and everybody thinks it's, oh, it's because they want to make more money. Well, yes, but there's also ego involved. It, there's also like understanding all the different things they've tried that didn't work, all the copywriters that they work with that didn't work, and why you can deliver on that. You create that safety for them to go, yes, I trust in this copywriter or this freelancer, and I will... Do, you know, follow our advice and that advice will actually work. I get a feeling that most freelancers give good advice, but if you don't create that safety, that environment of safety, they won't act on the advice. And you, if they don't you, act...
1: You also need to create an atmosphere, not just an atmosphere, but a... An environment. A, and Well, a, a sense about yourself of authority... Without being yes. overbearing, without being oh, absolutely, overbearing.
2: yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That that one, that one, I t- took a while for me to get down because I tend to be overbearing. I tend to be very aggressive, uh, and I think to a certain degree, I get away with it because I'm a guy, mm-hmm. and I think most men do get away with that. Whereas women, female freelancers, have a little more trouble doing doing that. But with that said, yes, absolutely. You do have to develop a sense of authority. And that, that comes down to you knowing everything about the business and just asking the right questions and caring. And then once you have that authority, then you can deliver um, the advice that they need.
1: Yeah, you know, I've I mentioned this in the podcast before, but I think here it's, it's really especially helpful. I remember right after 9-11, and there were a lot of people very far to the left in Hollywood and they were saying, well, this is the United States fault. And, you know, really, really taking some extreme and absurd positions. And there was a a reporter in Hollywood talking to a news anchor and they said, are, are they going to lose work? Are they destroying their careers by this? And the Hollywood inside guy said, no. In, in Hollywood, they don't care too much about who or what you're sleeping with or what your political beliefs are. There are really two questions if you're good. The first question is, how much do you cost? And the second question is, how easy are you to work with? Yep. And as copywriters, we're similar, I think, to Hollywood actors in that way. We're very yeah. different in many, many other yeah. ways. And, and I, you know, that how easy are you to work with I think you're breaking it down better than I've heard before. You know, it's the safety, it's the trust, it's the authority, it's the listening. You know, a lot of copywriters don't listen. I've talked to more than a few who are real blowhards.
2: I think on the aspiring side, they're too insecure to because they've been taught X, Y, and Z and that the, the regurgitating X, Y, Z. And then I think the experienced blowhards are that way because, again, I think there's just been a huge disservice done to copywriters because of the gurus we have in our industry saying you got to be that kind of jerk and that's why they will listen to you, which sucks, which sucks because uh, it does create a lot of, I mean, it's funny you brought up Hollywood because, you know, there are super talented people like Ed Norton, but like nobody wants to work with him anymore because he's a jerk.
1: Yeah. I mean, t- to some degree, the um, braggadocio that that you need to write to, to come up with really big claims, you know, assuming they're compliant, I need to sort of put that footnote in there. Yeah, days. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> it comes from a personality that isn't exactly, you know, the one who stands in the corner at the party.
2: Well, let, let's talk about that because we have a really great example in our world of someone who has that humble humility, but also super confident. It's Gary Bensavenga, right? You meet the guy; he is the nicest individual. He is generous in his advice, and he compl- like the first time I met him, he complimented me because of my connection to uh, Fishman, and I was like, "This guy is so clean, so." Discreet, so nice, so private. And he never did the guru thing, right? He did two seminars in his entire life. He did his retirement one and he went to talk at Titans. That was it. He's not looking for that celebrity status. And I think that is another thing that really sabotages you constantly looking for that celebrity status.
1: Yeah, I agree. Of course, his, his, his work spoke for itself and as mild mannered as you say he was. And I agree with you. I mean, I, Although, I'll tell you something funny. I've never told anybody this on um, publicly. I came out with a product in 1996. It was a little audio tape called Let Your Clients Do Your Selling. And Halbert, for reasons I will never know, promoted it in this pink sheet. And I got this phone call, and it was a voicemail. And it said, this is Gary Bencevenga. Gary Bencevenga. Gary Bencevenga. Please call me. And he said his name five times. <laughs> but he wasn't rude. He was just assertive, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it was funny. Um, what was the phone call for? He wanted to buy a copy. I mean, I didn't. I didn't have a website set up. He wanted to buy a copy of my audio cassette on getting referrals.
0: I, I'm
2: wondering. Maybe he thought you didn't know him, and he needed to repeat his weird, difficult name five times. Yeah, he wasn't really well that well known at, at that time. But right, you know, right, he, right. He,
1: the, the other thing I want to say about him is for those who did know him, who were competing against him, they feared him, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they feared competing with him. They respected him. They liked him. He's um, talented.
2: That's the thing. You don't. He's You're... talented. Of course. I...
1: And he worked his ass off. I mean, he oh, really yeah. worked. He engineered every minute of his day, and he really worked on on keeping his brain you know, focused in just the right place. So yeah. yeah, he's a great model. But the other thing I want to say, it's, it's not always occurring these days, but it's easy to be genteel when you're at the top.
2: I don't know. I would disagree with that because I played that game for my entire career. Like just being mm-hmm. nice and kind, but, but at the same time, you have to know. And this is one thing my, my mentor taught me. is like, you have to know when to pull out the knives. Mm-hmm right i mean there are so when you especially when you're starting out because you're going to get clients that will try to exploit and take advantage of you now fortunately for me i was bullied as a kid uh 80s kid 80s nerd and i just don't put up with it so i'm a i'm very much aware when i am being bullied or when i'm being gaslit or when they're trying to take advantage of me but what my mentor taught me is how to make them swallow their own knives and what that means is like you just need to be very careful you document everything and then if you were listening and paying attention being kind and being generous they're going to give you a lot of information that you can then go well you said this and you can turn it back on them
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and
2: that's just knowing the game and that's that is the i guess the dark side of freelancing or just being playing at the high stakes level is knowing that there are times where you have to,
1: there, there are there are times when you have to get tough, whether you like that or not, whether you're comfortable with it or not, that's absolutely yeah.
2: true. And I think that's really difficult for most people, um, especially if you're coming from the nine to five and the, you know, your typical public education system, you've been taught to listen to your teachers, your preachers, your parents, whatever. And then it's, it's rebelling but doing it in a way that's not outward and i don't know i don't know if i'm especially good at it because i'm asian and the way we rebel is passive aggressively or what (laughs) my favorite way of rebelling is malicious compliance i don't know if you ever read um robert anton wilson's uh illuminatus trilogy but he talks about that in his book like Malicious co- compliance is just the funnest way to rebel. Is when you follow everything they say to the letter of the law. <laughs> and I'm not recommending you do this, but like if you're in a job and your boss is a complete blowhard, it's the funnest way to rebel. Nathan,
1: you must have some thoughts or questions. I mean, this has been too <clears throat> stimulating.
0: I would just say, how dare you speak about our public education system like that, sir? <laughs>
2: Hey, I grew up in Canada and we had a good one. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're similar in the sense that they teach you. Compliance. Follow the rules. Follow the rules.
0: David, I don't know how much we have more to go. I'm I'm running on a hard stop here pretty soon. Before we wrap it up, though, I did want to make sure that we give Colin the chance to inform our listeners about anything that he wanted to let them know about.
1: Oh yeah. you yeah. Tell them about a freelance course and we've set up a special link. So. Oh yeah. Talk.
2: Before I do that, can I give some actual tips that people can use? Sure. So like, I mean, I've been talking about attitude and mindset for the last 30 minutes, but like there are ways to actually externalize it. And uh, I'll give five things that I did a lot of when I was starting out and you were the recipient of one of them, actually, David, write handwritten thank you notes pick up the bill if you ever meet up with them and you're at the restaurant. It's not, you know, fighting over the bill is not just a Chinese thing. It's just, it's signaling to your client that you're there to, you're, you're, you're taking charge. You're, you're the one that's the authority. So the one that you were the recipient of, if you recall, like one of our early talks, like, uh, I just kept asking you questions and I kind of figured out that Oban was your favorite Scotch. So then if you recall, I called up the nearest liquor store and I bought you a bottle and they sent you a notice to go pick it up. And that is such a small thing, but it That's is a huge gesture and you have never forgotten it.
1: Right. That's and right. And
2: that leads you to talk to other people positively about me. And after a pre-call, Doberman down reached out to me again because you were just talking to him. And that network effect is one of my biggest secrets. It's like, just listening to what they're interested in and just like sending them a little gift, it goes a long way. Forwarding them articles that they're interested in. So like, again, uh, so Michael Fishman, I sent a lot of jazz stuff because I knew he was really into jazz. Yeah. I guess I have one more, but I can't think of it right now. But it is, it's having that attitude of just caring, listening and sending little things uh, but let's start with the freelancer course so yeah. the link i'll throw that out right now dot garfinco.thefederation.io this is uh something that is 10 years in the making i've always wanted to do a freelancer course to talk about the way i built my freelancer career but and i'm finally doing it i wanted to do something that talked about the things we talked about in this episode which is like It's not about seven tips. It's not about building a funnel. It's not about just sending a whole bunch of code emails and here's the template to do it. It really comes down to your character and your attitude and knowing how to play the game in a way where you work on who you are and how you act in the ecosystem that you've decided to work in as a freelancer. And that's really what this course is about. I mean, I still give you practical tips like Here's how to set up a website and why website matters or doesn't matter and all those little things. But the core of this course is about being, it's about who you are.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about these concepts and most of them are not very successful or maybe they don't understand the concepts or maybe they think their job is to share these concepts with the world. Obviously, that's not you. You took 10 years before you even started talking about it publicly. Although I know you've talked about with friends and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you've really thought about it. And I think much more importantly, you, you found a way to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the best people I know and, and the ones who remain my friends in this business have those qualities. Everyone's different. Nobody's perfect. And there are people who are promoting those bro ideas that are kind of poisoning their own name and hurting a lot of other people's careers so yeah. i would encourage people to, to check this thing out it's very reasonably priced you know at, at this point i know the price is going to go up the more people buy it but i think i think uh, people can get into the lowest price if they yeah we're going to put the link in the show notes so yeah that's i mean good. they have to
2: know how to spell your name i guess Garfinkel. yeah
1: yeah g-a-r-f-i-n-k-e-l yeah e-l not l-e EL, yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you thank you Tom, <laughs> I appreciate that
0: alright All right. guys, thank you so much for putting this episode together, again we will have the link to check out this course in the show notes of this episode, if you want to get those, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com while you're there, make sure that you like and subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast app is and until next time, we will catch you later
1: catch you later, thank you so Take much time. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com advertising headlines that make you rich what's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service because i show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and kindle formats on amazon
2: this is the copy and funnels podcast network